Blog Talk Radio. weekly now and uh, we hope you tune us in on Thursday afternoon with the REPA, the Retired Eastern Pilots Association Radio Hour, call it the REPA Radio Hour at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and the Eastern Airlines Radio Show, of course, which you're listening to tonight, Monday at 7 p.m. Both broadcasts are live call-in shows and we welcome your comments on the air. Our hosts are from around the U.S. and our listeners from around the world. That's right, over 50 countries now around the world have been identified who regularly listen in. We're so glad that uh, you're with us. And a special hello if you're listening out there, Chris, from way over there in Central Europe. won't name the country, but thanks for helping me with my computer problems. My name is Neil Holland, retired Eastern captain and the producer of the show, and I hope you enjoy tonight's broadcast. And now Don Gagnon, our announcer, will get the show in the air. Don, it's all yours. Well, thank you, Neil, and hello, Eastern family and friends. As our producer said, we're glad you're with us for more Eastern talk, news, and information. My name is Don Gagnon, and I'll be sitting in for Chuck Albright, our regular announcer, who is recovering from surgery. Get well quickly, Chuck, and get back to this high-paying job. We all (laughs) miss you, buddy. I'm coming to you live from the Villages, Florida. Our producer, Captain Neil Holland, he's in St. Augustine, and our hosts are scattered all around the country. Let's start up in the New York or Long Island area with Captain Mike Scott. And on the other side of the island is Captain George Jinn. Hello, guys. Good evening. Harry Lindquist How you doing? is over in the Baltimore area. Mark Porter, our Eastern 3.0 reporter, is in Miami area. And, of course, right here with me is my lovely wife, Dorothy. Hello and, one and welcome to One and All. Mr. Producer, if, I see, if I've left anybody <coughs> out, please let me know. From all of our hosts, welcome, and thank you for listening and calling the show for over the past nine years. You have truly made us the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. We'd love to hear your comments and share your memories with radio listeners from around the world during the broadcast. If you haven't called the show before, all you need to do is call 213-816-816. 1611 and just say hello to talk with us on the air live every Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Many listeners choose to listen by computer using the radio icon on the radio homepage at www.ealradioshow.com or perhaps by signing in at the, at the site of our provider, Blog Talk Radio at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. Now remember to abbreviate the word Captain to C-A-P-T 
Should you wish to talk during live, during a live broadcast, please feel free to use our call-in number, 213-816-1611 at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Let me repeat that number so you can write it down for your Monday night visits. 213-816-1611. And by the way, tell your friends about us. Our membership is growing. We're now up to 1,052 Eastern family and friends. And don't forget, you can listen to any of our 470 Monday night broadcasts and the 100 plus Thursday broadcast by simply going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash cap eddie. That's C-A-P-T-E-D-D-I-E and scrolling down through the archive of broadcast. Each broadcast, each episode, is briefly described. We're nearing 600 episodes now, and all because of listeners like you wanting to talk about Eastern Airlines. Our lines are always open for calls, and if you choose not to participate and talk live with our host, we ask that you please mute your phone as our producer does not have the capability of filtering out background noises, such as barking dogs, slamming doors, particularly ice cubes and beverages, and ringing the (laughs) phone. That's why they put the mute feature on phones. Now I see we're number one for takeoff, so Captain, let's get flight 479 in the air. Eastern 479er, this is Salt Lake Tower. You're cleared for takeoff. Roger, Salt Lake Tower. Eastern 479er is on the roll. Crew member health guidance. However, 
airlines are responsible for the occupational health of their workforce, unquote. ALPA informed the FAA last month that airlines were not following guidance to properly clean and disinfect the flight decks. ALPA President Captain Joe DePete warned that the U.S. aviation system may, quote, grind to a complete halt, unquote, without action by U.S. officials. DePete said Friday in a letter to the FAA that he was disappointed at the FAA's, quote, unwillingness to take the needed action, unquote. He called the FAA's guidance and voluntary efforts categorically insufficient to protect pilots. Harry, what's the FAA doing about this? Well, George, here's what we found the FAA is doing. The FAA has taken a number of regulatory steps to address the coronavirus, including allowing pilots and flight engineers with expiring medical certificates to continue flights during the grace period. The FAA granted grace periods for completing some training and qualification requirements and gave crew members relief from having to don protective breathing equipment or oxygen mask in training, checking, or evaluation. This reduces the likelihood of pilot-to-pilot transmission, protects their health, and reduces anxiety over qualification expiration. The FAA also issued an exemption that enables flight attendants to sit away from their usual seats to maintain social distancing and to reduce equipment demonstrations when giving passengers safety briefings. The FAA also revised its rules on when pilots must don cockpit oxygen masks to reduce the risk of spreading the virus between pilots. We know that the U.S. airlines have canceled hundreds of thousands of flights as passenger traffic has fallen by 95% because of the coronavirus pandemic. Mike, you've got some more information for us? Yes, Harry. Uh, when an outbreak strikes, it is natural to become leery of hopping on an airplane. It is even more alarming when two serious viruses are circulating at once. And Harry, by now, we know the, the origin of this deadly virus. The world is grappled, crippled by, crippled by a kind of coronavirus that started in China and has since moved into more than 85 countries, including the United States. Meanwhile, it is also the flu season, which so far has caused 18,000 deaths in the U.S. Major airports have begun screening passengers for the coronavirus, and more than three dozen airlines, including Delta, American, and United, have cut their flights to China and other places affected by this crisis. But those measures may not only provide uh, don't provide much solace to anyone who's boarding an aircraft flight. After all, you can avoid a person who is sneezing on a Cinnabon line, but you'd be a little less uh, full of fate uh, once you are strapped in a seat of an inside of a metal canister like a fuselage of an airplane. While there's still much to learn about the Wuhan outbreak, scientists do not. Know a bit similar, uh, know a bit more of about a similar coronavirus other than a respiratory illness like influenza. So how do you, how how, the, how do those viruses spread specifically on airplanes, and how serious is the coronavirus threat compared to other likes like influenza? Dorothy, can you shed any light on this subject, on this question? Yes, thanks, Mike. Mike, the whole World Health Organization defines contact with an infected person as being seated within two rows of one another. But people don't just sit during flights, particularly ones lasting longer than a few hours. They visit the bathroom, they stretch their legs and grab items from the overhead bin. In fact, during the 2003 coronavirus outbreak of the severe acute respiratory syndrome, or SARS, as it was called, a passenger aboard a flight from Hong Kong to Beijing infected people well outside the WHO's two-row boundaries. That's the White House two-row boundaries. The New England Journal of Medicine noted that the WHO criteria would have missed 45% of the patient with SARS. John? Yes, Dorothy, and inspired in part By that case, a team of public health researchers set out to study how random movements about the airplane cabin might change passengers' probability of uh, infection. 
Fly Healthy research team observed the behaviors of passengers and crew on 10 transcontinental flights about three and a half to five hours long. Led by Emory University's Vicki Stover Hartsburg and Howard Weiss, they not only took a look at people who moved about the cabin, but also how that affected the number and duration of their contacts with others. The team wanted to estimate how many close encounters might allow for trans- transmission during a trans- transcontinental flight. <clears throat> Quote, suppose you're seated in an aisle seat or a middle seat, and I walk by to go to the laboratory, said Weiss, professor of biology and mathematics at Penn State University. We're going to be in close contact, meaning we'll be within two to four inches. So in effect, so if I'm infected, I could transmit to you others and others, which will first study uh, the first to qualify this. George? Yeah, Don, as a study revealed in 2018, most passengers left their seat at some point generally to use the restroom or check the overhead bins during one of these medium haul flights. Overall, 38, excuse me, 38% of passengers left their seats once and 24% more than once. Another 38% of people stayed in their seats throughout the entire flight. This activity helps pinpoint the safest places to sit. The passengers who were least likely to get up were in window seats where only 43% moved around, as opposed to 80% of the folks seated on the aisle. Accordingly, window seat passengers had fewer close encounters than people in other seats, averaging 12 contacts compared to the 58 and 64 respective contacts for people in the middle and aisle seats. So choosing a window seat and staying put clearly lowers your likelihood of coming in contact with an infectious disease. Passengers in middle or aisle end aisle seats, even those that are within the who's two-seat range, have a fairly low probability of getting infected. Harry? Uh, that's very interesting, George. And uh, Professor Weiss goes on to say that's because most contact people have on airplanes is relatively short. If you're seated in an aisle seat, certainly there will be quite a few people moving past you but they'll be moving quickly, Weiss says. In aggregate, what we show is that there's a low probability of transmission to any particular passenger. The story changes if the ill person is a crew member because flight attendants spend much more time walking down the aisle and interacting with passengers. They are more likely to have additional and longer close encounters. As the study stated, a sick crew member has a probability of infecting 4.6 passengers. Thus, it is imperative that flight attendants not fly when they are ill. Mike? Yes, Harry. Now that we've uh, that the demand for flights is picking up, the airline industry is still struggling to recover from the coronavirus pandemic. There has been reports of packed flights filled primarily with vacation travelers defying warnings from public health experts. This development has been met by complicated feelings from those working in the industry, like more flights means better job security and also greater potential for exposure in airports and staffing of planes. A 34-year-old flight attendant, one with uh, one of the big three airlines, American Delta United, spoke on the condition of anonymity uh, out of concern for his employment. His answers have been edited and condensed for clarity, and here are some of his comments. The flight attendant said, The work itself has become tremendously boring for flights under four and a half hours. We are not doing food service. I'm only doing cocktails and soft drinks on request. There's a lot of me sitting around in the jump seat. Currently, I'm about halfway through the fifth John Carter book. I'm not sure what that is. There is plenty of folks who are just loving it because of, of the they, they just go to work and collect a paycheck, but I really enjoy the interaction with the people. 
I actually am now working nicer trips that's kind of neat because I'm very junior on the seniority-based industry. From this point of view, I've had a big jump in my seniority because of all the folks who have taken paid leaves and unpaid leaves or retired as a result of the virus. Mike, he goes on to say that first class is usually empty. It's a much lower percentage of business travelers. In the main cabin, I'm seeing a lot of families. Summer travel is starting to pick up. I had a trip to Orlando the other day, and it was loaded down with families and kids. I think a lot of it would park over half of our fleet. So you have fewer people, but also you have fewer planes. But you're starting to get vacation travelers who are just willing to risk it. My flight home from San Jose a few days ago had one paying passenger in business class. And in a main cabin that holds 144 people, I think we had about 120. People have gotten nicer. Now I get more thanks for coming to work. And everybody's doing as we ask. It's been remarkable, to be honest. We had a mechanical delay coming out of somewhere the other day, and there was not one bad word. Another time, we were delayed five hours, and not one person said anything rude. That's a great thing. How about you, Don? Well, Dorothy, he goes on to tell about the airports he goes into. At the moment, Dallas, for him, Dallas-Fort Worth is the busiest airport in the country. So... All my flights in and out of Dallas are full. I mean, I think legally right now we can only do about 85% capacity, but we're going out full everywhere. One of the agents told me that people were getting clever when certain states were required to, for people to, from New York City or New Orleans to self-quarantine a lot of folks were transi- transitioning through Phoenix or Dallas <laughs> on separate tickets. Oh, so <laughs> they could not look like they were coming from those cities. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I was in San Jose, and they just blocked off half the airport because nobody's flying in and out of there, which was kind of spooky. It was the same thing in Austin and Baltimore. It was just like a ghost town. George? Yeah, Don, uh, passengers are getting creative with this uh, new way of flying. Our flight attendant goes on to say, you know, the folks who will push you to your next gate if you're incapable of walking on your own, well, they've been also been transitioned. They now wear T-shirts that say, quote, strike team, unquote, on them. And they go around with a bottle of bleach and wipe stuff down at each gate. <laughs> Depending on the airport, you'll see tape on the floor, and the agents, as they're boarding, will say, we're going to pause and let everybody settle down, and then we're going to do the next group, rather than have everybody lining up. As far as I can tell, everyone's wearing a mask. We were down 85%, maybe 90% in terms of passenger numbers in April, and now we're up to 55% booked for July. When you go to DFW Airport, it looks like a normal day because of the way they're routing the flights. I was on reserve last month, and I didn't fly for the entire month because there were so few flights. But the last four days of May, I flew all four days, and every single one of my flights was full. So the end of May was when it started to tick back up. I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens a month from now if uh, people start getting sick again. Harry? George, our flight attendant was asked, are there any things that you worry about? His answer, the biggest problem is I'm probably going to lose my job in October for at least a few months because the big three all took government aid grants or loans, which have ended this past month. Anybody with less than about eight years of seniority is looking at their future wondering what's going on. At my airline, almost every single one of us has a degree. So most of us have something to fall back on. I know for sure I'm getting a furlough. I'm not even going to lose any sleep over it. The last time I was furloughed from a previous job, I worked construction for a little while. I may go back to doing that. I used to be a firefighter. 
I could go back to fire and chemical safety. Or, heck, I may just try and write it out on unemployment for four months and see if I can come back. He was asked if he felt about how he felt about his own safety, which he replied, Personally, I'm not terribly concerned. I know that's a very arrogant and selfish way to put it, but from what I've seen, especially in the past few weeks, the crews on the ground at the airports are genuinely cleaning the bejesus out of the cabins. And those of us who work in the galleys as attendants, we're cleaning as well. So I'm just going to roll with it. To end the interview, he was asked if he wanted more people to fly right now. Yes, but only insofar as people are taking the precautions that they should be taking. I flew the other day with this crotchety old man who refused to wear a mask. That guy kind of bothered me. So if you're going to fly, that's okay. Just please wash your hands and cover your mouth. Mike? (laughs) Hundreds of flight attendants employed by American Airlines and Southwest Airlines have tested positive for corona. Uh, novel, the novel coronavirus. Uh, their unions have claimed this. About 100 flight attendants employed by American Airlines have been infected with COVID-19, according to the Association of Professional Flight Attendants, APFA. The organization represents 28,000 flight attendants employed by American Airlines. The number reported uh, represents a small fraction of its membership, but the APFA emphasized that the union hopes to make everyone realize the seriousness of this threat. By spreading the word of diagnosis, and the organization explained in a a recent letter to the members in the uh, Dallas Morning News reported on Tuesday, COVID-19 is a deadly global pandemic, and it has impacted our health and now our financial livelihood negatively. Without a doubt, that number will increase in the following days and weeks of uh, the APFA said. When reached uh, for comment, a spokesman for American offered the following statement on Wednesday. The safety of our customers and team members is of top priority. We are in close contact with the Centers for Disease and Center- Control Center for Prevention, CDC, and public health officials and are coordinating with any of them requiring health and safety-related measures. They said they they said And we continue to look forward in all the ways we can to protect our team during the stressful time. In late March, the carrier announced that the flight attendant passed away from testing positive uh, for COVID-19. The Philadelphia-based steward was 65 years old and was was reportedly the first employee of the carrier to die of contracting the virus. Now back to you, Neil. For half a century, this 400-seat man-made giant has roamed the planet. But the pandemic has now forced the jumbo jet to near extinction. This is the biggest crisis the airline industry has ever faced. And as they think about their very survival, the jumbo jet is just not part of that future. 50 years ago, the 747 opened up the world. Now, COVID-19 is closing much of it down. As passenger numbers dwindle, this is the pandemic that killed the jumbo jet. As airlines shed thousands of jobs, the 747 goes from flagship to scrapyard. I've just delivered you to end your life, and that's a really sad thing for a pilot. I apologize to one one. I'm really sorry. We just use the machine and actually chew the aircraft up, and it gets sold on for scrap metal. I'm on a voyage to witness the last days of the jumbo jet and trace the pioneers that half a century ago put this giant in the sky. The first giant 747 is presented to the world. People thought that an airplane this big just wouldn't fly. Symbol of power, beast of burden, and she's carried over five billion of us across the planet. Now as Boeing ends production, it's a, with a heavy heart that we take this aircraft on this last flight. COVID-19 has written the final chapter. And you can say the same thing with Airbus A380, which now makes for a restaurant for one airline. So these. Hey, Neil, I, I have a question for you. 
Yeah. Go yeah, ahead, George. Um, do, do, do you think that the uh, the airlines that are all uh, scrapping the 747s and the A300, uh, A380 are being short-sighted? I mean, if a uh, if a vaccine comes along that you know prevents this infection from hitting people in the air and the uh, passenger numbers return to what they were, what are they going to do without any jumbo jets, uh, you know, transversing the skies? I mean, are they are they just going to get rid of the four-engine jumbos, or are they? What, what what's your feelings on this? You know, George, I've thought about that. The habits of uh, travelers change, and of course, this has been a tremendous change for most travelers, um, vacationers. Uh, the business person still has to get from point A to point B, but there are there are things that are even affecting whether they have to attend meetings uh, from uh, their headquarters. Uh, you know, with Zoom and other ways of uh, of conducting business meetings, is it really necessary? So I think, to me, I've thought about this. Habits are changing. You know, we we got to the point at one time in aviation that we wanted to be there now. As soon as we got on the airplane, we want to step off the airplane and be in Europe. And so uh, along came the Concorde. Well, it stuck around for a while and things were going pretty good. And and uh, it just, uh, people just didn't realize that they didn't have to get there so fast. And uh, so now they're talking about cranking up more. Uh, supersonic jets but uh, times are changing and whether it's caused by a pandemic and this is my editorial for you guys uh, to to give me your opinion but this is my editorial uh, times are changing and I wonder whether the need for a large aircraft is still necessary I uh, see Boeing is now um, it looks like it might uh, get its 737, which is one of the world's most popular uh, jets that's ever been out there. Uh, it's just about being ready to, uh, for uh, flights again. I think by the end of the year, you'll see 737 Maxes in the air again. So anyhow, that's my opinion. Anyone else have an editorial they'd like to? talk about i'm gonna open all the microphones boy we got a lot of folk on folks online so uh just tell me hey, well, I what think you know, you're right in a way uh neil yeah. but when it comes to flying overseas i think the the twin aisle is still going to be around for a long time especially the, the 300 passenger range um i think people like the space that they can get and on those aircraft with filters and everything and not too many people, but not, not a single aisle like JetBlue offers for long distance. That's my, my. Yeah. Well, Mark, what, but, what about the fact that are these planes that they're retiring, are they older and it's just an excuse to get rid of them? I think so. Um, I, think, I think there's still a lot of life left. In a lot of these aircraft, I'm not, for example, on buying a car, I'm not a new car buyer. I'm a used car buyer. So I think Eastern strategy, for example, is a very smart one because the aircraft have a good 10 to 15 years left in them, many of them, and then can be switched to cargo. So I think a lot of the airlines that are almost broke, i.e. American Airlines, and are still buying 787s at $180 million an aircraft are rather foolish. Yeah, I think so, Dorothy. Well, that you know, there's, there's, you know, there's another, there, there's another this, aspect of this that no one has, no one has brought up in in a long, long time, and that is, if you recall, when we first started flying across the oceans, both the Atlantic and the Pacific, the FAA required four engines on an airplane, then they went mm-hmm. to three, and now they're down to two, and I firmly believe it's not a not a matter of if, but when. One is going to go into the drink. And when when that happens, now people are going to be looking at, gee whiz, you know, maybe we need mm-hmm. either three or four engine aircraft again. And where are we going to be now? You know, the, the tape that Neil played said that they're scrapping all these 
747s. Mm-hmm. They're just turning them into uh, junk metal. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's something. No, I agree. I agree with that. Um, yeah. But you know, I mean, I've seen there are there are two engine, uh, you know, Airbuses and and uh, Boeing aircraft that have gone into the ocean. And you're right. I, the safest airplanes ever built were the 747 and A340. The safest. Those are the two safest, and both of those are four engines. So it makes you think. What are our passengers because of economics secondary? Um, I, but I, I don't think many passengers realize the safety of the four engine versus the safety of the two engine. Yeah, Mark, I, I agree with you 100. percent I think that you know no one has ever no one's ever written about this about the safety of four three versus two, and mm-hmm. um, you know so most people who aren't in the yeah. industry never even give it a second thought. Right. George, you need There's to talk to Christine. The, well, she she I, I forwarded her the uh the story on the seven four she told me she was uh working on something for uh, the New York Times. I don't know what it is, but uh, hopefully it might be along those lines. I don't know. Yeah. Mike, I heard you your know, voice there. Mike Yeah, when it comes to the seven forty sevens before the uh the virus showed up on the scene, uh they were starting to retire those uh, most of the airlines were because, you know, most of the one hundreds and two hundreds and the converted two hundreds to three hundreds uh were you know, they started out in nineteen sixty nine. They were fifty years old. So they're all, mm-hmm. most all of the, uh, as we used to call them, the rope start uh, 74s uh, have been uh, scrapped, except the ones that are being flying by the uh, the cargo operations. And the 400, which was the queen of the fleet, I think that came out in 94, which made it 26 years old. And most all of those have been uh, also, uh, now they're parking all of those. They were doing that before. And a lot of them are being the ones that weren't cargos already. They're they're converting them for for these uh, some of these non-sked uh, cargo operations like Kalida and whatnot. But the 340 is another deal where uh, that was a uh, for the amount of passengers of the four-engine airplane. I mean, I flew on that 340 one time, and it's uh, was not a very good performing airplane. I thought we were going to uh, stay on the takeoff roll for about 15 minutes before we got in the air. <laughs> and uh, it, it, it looked nice, but it, it burned a lot of fuel, and uh, and that's why they're scrapping a lot of those. But the, the long and the short of it, uh, who knows what, what's going to come out of all of this. Uh, the one pilot thing is what we're worried about. Yeah. Uh, Neil, just to follow up to... Uh... To Mike there, as a passenger, you know, if if you're going to offer me a flight, uh, my first choice is on a four-engine jet that was made 40 years ago or a two-engine jet that was made last year, I'm probably going to pick the two-engine jet as a consumer. Why? Because one's 50 years old and one's uh, a year old. Okay, but how does that person know it's yeah. fifty years old or a year old? Most most right. of the traveling well, public the have, like, have no like, clue. Well, they, like a people. lot of the public would uh, on seven forty sevens and some of the older ones. They would have a clue on some of those. But you're probably yeah. right; they're they're not real intent on that information. And that that brings up another question: What is the average age of a modern commercial jetliner? 20 years, hmm. 30 years? I think about that's probably yeah, years. I mean, uh, rather about, than age, what, what's the lifespan? What's the lifespan generally? <laughs> DC-3, 100 public. years. <laughs> it goes, it's, it's a, yeah. DC-3 is a non-pressurized airplane, so there's, yeah. there's no yeah, that's right. There's no structural limit no with that. Yeah. But with yeah. pressurized yeah, but I'm, I'm airplanes. I'm talking about a modern, a modern yeah. jet aircraft. Yeah. 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 yeah, it depends It depends on the wealth of the airline. A lot of airlines yeah, around 12 exactly. years old begin to move them off the off the line and get a newer plane. But a lot of airlines don't have the money, and they'll keep that around for 32 years or so. Yeah. Yeah, well, my you know, my, these, uh, my, my alma mater, U.S. Air, was famous for that. I mean, they, they kept those airplanes, the back 111, the old DC-9s, for, forever. They just kept... Repairing them and putting new engines on them and things like that, and yeah. Yeah. forever. Look, 
Yep. Look at Air Force One. It's from the 70s. Yeah. We did those, those you know, the yeah. U.S. Air Force maintains it and flies our presidents around. Uh-huh. If you look, if you look at all the hours, the hours they put on, like you talk, get back to the seven fours with the uh, the older ones that came out and uh, started in '69 with the 100s and the 200s. Most of those mm-hmm. airplanes were retired with close to 80,000 hours on them, and then yeah. the 400s had around 60,000 on them. That's a lot of flight hours. I mean, the cycles were a lot, quite a bit lower because of the long hey, range. Mike, but uh, speaking of cycles, Mike, uh, what what what? Do they go by the hours or uh, the, the life of an airplane or by its cycles? What What is an airline? It's a pressurization, pressurization cycle. If, you li- if okay. you're like doing a, taking an airliner and you're doing touch and goes with it, yeah. you would basically do one pressurization, mm-hmm. pressurization cycle for two or three takeoffs and landings. Okay. Because the pressurization cycle is what counts because, the, the, as you know, the fuselage Metal. is getting pumped up and then let down again. So that's what yeah. puts the stress yeah. on it. Yeah. Hey, Neil, can you hear me? I can hear you, yeah. Who's this? It's Chuck. Hey, Chuck, oh, I hope you're feeling better. Good. Good to I hear know. you. I've been listening to the program. I, I, I didn't want to interrupt anything, but uh, it was a great did. program. Very, inter, you know, the people should be then interested in that. And, you know, one right. of the things that you want to think about about airplanes is where they're stationed. A lot of airplanes, especially right. the ones down in the uh, the islands and everything. If they're around salt water, their lifespan's a little shorter than the rest of them. Yeah, yeah. Good the point. Corrosion. Very good point. Yeah, good. Yeah, very good. But it was a nice program. I, I fully enjoyed it. I'm doing great. I'm back home. I finished all my <laughs> uh, stuff at the hospital and my rehab center, and uh, I'm you going might. for rehab for two more weeks at home, and then they're going to cut me loose. All right, you might be coming back and uh, helping Don out then, huh? Taking over. There you go. All right. It was close. It was a close one. I was told that uh, a couple more days and you'd be talking to somebody else. Chuck, you've got to keep that needle in the green zone. (laughs) There you go, buddy. There you go. But well, uh, good, I was treated. I, I I can truly say that the the people who worked on me and because it was an emergency, this this wasn't planned or anything. Yeah. I went and I got a flu shot. Two days later, I had a reaction. I, I thought I had a reaction. I went into the hospital emergency care here we have, and told them that I'm having a reaction from the flu shot, and. I wasn't there more than 10, 15 minutes, and they took me out, and away I went. And all of a sudden, I'm I'm being dressed up to go into the emergency uh, operating room, and then all of a sudden everything went blank, of course, and yeah. I woke up about five hours or six hours later yeah. that they took out my gallbladder and a small tumor out of my That's stomach. Good. Wow. Well, and, at least they uh, didn't put uh, you in the 747 line. There you go. <laughs> It's been a hard way of losing 33 pounds. Oh, yeah, yeah. that is a hard way. You'll yeah. get it back. That's a hard way of doing it. But yeah. I'm okay. I feel good. Um, even though uh, my my family were here with me, they were all around me. They helped me out and got me back into the house. And they're coming back uh, around Thanksgiving. So we're all going to have a Thanksgiving dinner at, uh, at my house, I bought another house, so technically I own two houses right now because <laughs> the one I'm living in is not has not uh, sold yet. You know, has closing. So what do they do to me? They close both houses on the same day. Uh, said, yeah, I've done that. You got a mask on that turkey, Chuck. Yeah. I'm telling. You. <laughs> <laughs> but. I think everything's going to work out just fine. And, uh, yep, uh, Don, I'll be back. Don't worry about it. I'll be here. Okay. Well, Carry on, you guys. It was an interesting I, conversation about the the cycles. Yeah. You know, of course, like they were saying, that uh, one of the things the mechanics are required to do is to go out and check the uh, rivets. They they use, a, a like, a X-ray machine to do it. It's big sheets of film 
they, uh, about 50 or 60 feet long, and they just lay it on the, on the plane, and they 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 uh, take X-rays, and it tells you which rivets are are loose or are missing, or and that's how they de- they determine how much skin to replace. Now I saw them yeah. on a L- on a old early L1011 one time. They reskinned the whole wing, 65 feet long, 35 feet wide. Mm-hmm. They just came in you know, and, and yep. just drilled it and put it in place. You know, Chuck, in the old days when they allowed smoking in the airplanes, it was easy to tell. Any rivets that were loose, the, the nicotine was coming out around them. Oh, my that's God. true. One of the that's things true. I remember a, when I started out in the business that's a true fact. Uh, with Pan Am, uh, I started in Pan Am right, uh, when I came back from the military, is that one of my jobs as a cleaner, I started out as a cleaner and went to their school and got my A&P and stuff, was to take a putty knife, a regular putty knife, and scrape the tar off the outlet valves on a DC oh, nines yeah. and all the oh, yeah. sick stuff. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Bucket now underneath I go it. Just back put a bucket think, underneath it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, and I'm saying, you know, people smoke. This is in your lungs. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, interesting. We'll have to start talking more about the maintenance of these airplanes and the outflow valves. That's why a lot of us, especially on the 727, when we had those airplanes for so long, you know, we had a lot of pressurization problems. And I think the main the main cause of that was the nicotine on those valves. Yeah. In fact, uh, L1011s yeah. have four valves, two in yeah. the front and two in the back. Yeah. And the two in the back get stuck all the time because yeah. of that tar and nicotine. Oh, well, and and rather than try to, to, to clean it, uh, Eastern decided just to take it out and put two re- reconditioned valves in there and send the valves to the shops to be cleaned. Because yeah. it took too much time for a mechanic to sit there with a cleaner or whatever it is to yeah. clean these things to make the valves work. That's okay, so guys. Yeah. Thank you. Thank I'm, you so all much. All right. We'll talk to you guys later. Okay. okay. Uh, I want to turn now to Mark Porter. I heard him out there. We uh, want to listen to what's going on with the new Eastern 3.0. Mark, can you bring us up to date quickly? Yeah, we got uh, quite a bit of stuff here. Um, Eastern has applied for frequencies during the holidays from uh, Miami and from John F. Kennedy to um, um, Ecuador, uh, two from Miami and three from John F. Kennedy. Um, the traffic right now there, the aircraft are coming out pretty full. So the frequencies should add quite a bit of profit for Eastern. Uh, Eastern has also, the fleet has also grown by uh, three more aircraft, two more 777-200 and one more 767-200. So now the fleet stands at 13 with six more aircraft to join the fleet. Um, Eastern is now going to go into Argentina and Bolivia. Uh, American Airlines served Bolivia for 29 plus years and has now pulled out of there, and Eastern is going to fill that void, uh, Mm. serving Miami to Bolivia and Miami to Buenos Aires, Argentina. Uh, Both separate flights, twice twice a week. Um, And that, especially the Argentine route, that should be a huge, huge moneymaker. There's American Airlines there, and there's Aerolíneas Argentinas, and that's really about it. Uh, and mm. both wow, those airlines have great. a monopoly of it into into Miami, and uh, Eastern should make out like a bandit into there, especially mm. with the Argentines who Mark, can't afford these. Mark, flights. yeah, yeah. Hey, Mark, uh, on these, uh, yeah. which which airplanes are they going to operate out of uh, Bolivia? They're going to operate this, the seven six seven. Seven six seven. What what's the? Yeah. As you know, uh, I mean, I've been in and out of Bolivia, and it's you know it's thirteen thousand five hundred feet. Uh, performance is uh, kind of limited up there. <laughs> yeah, into La Paz. Yeah. They're going into Santa Cruz. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. And um, yeah. that you know it's yeah. That makes it as different. far as, a, as Mark, going, I, if you're going into La Paz, yes, it, it most definitely be true. 
Yeah, you need but, lots and um, lots of runway up there. Oh yeah, yeah. really true. I've been George, there. you got a qu- George, you got a question for Mark? Yeah, I do, Mark. Uh, especially mm-hmm. in and out of Bolivia, did they uh, Eastern? As you know, the original Eastern Airlines, when they sold those routes to American, the Fifth mm-hmm. Freedom rights went with them. Did Eastern pick up any Fifth Freedom rights uh, in and out of South America? What's that? I didn't. Okay, Fifth Freedom rights give them the ability then the right to fly passengers not only to the U.S., but between the different countries in South America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see that on the filing. Um, I, just, I, know that that is, I know that that is true with Brazil, and that's why they're interested in the, the three cities in Brazil. Um, they don't even have to worry about the fifth freedom anymore, thanks to the um, president of Brazil. Um, but I think they've they've applied for uh, Asuncion Paraguay and Montevideo Uruguay uh, Fifth Freedom. Um, that I hasn't come out yet, so maybe not too many people are listening. Hopefully, but um, uh, that's what I, 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 I know that they're going to be. Mark. Yeah. So, but um, I suggested that after you know maybe a month or so on Argentina, they put the seven seven seven. Uh, in that route because it's a huge route. Um, I mean, huge. I mean, I lived there most of my life. And you get on a, a Pan Am or Argentina's uh, Argentina's flight, and they do packed. And these are 747s. So um, the 777 would be perfect on that route, uh, especially if you're flying it out of, let's say, Miami and flying 767 into Miami from John F. Kennedy. Um, uh, Mark? That, as it's just, how many yeah. how many people are on the seven seven seven? How many uh, uh, ver, uh, configuration well, well, no, Eastern is? Well, no, normally the maximum is four forty, and most airlines have it around three fifty. But uh-huh. Eastern has two of theirs at four fifty two. Mm. I know they're going to be used for uh, government and for charter and commercial. Um, I was. I'm kind of hoping that um, that on the other aircraft that he uses more like like cargo passengers, like you would on a, a combi, like you would on a 747. Because um, I see a 777, 200 and 300 um, providing a lot of ben- benefits if you carry a lot of cargo, mm. um, and it can do that because it has a lot of cargo hold versus a 767. Mm. Um, right now, Eastern is uh, gearing up and fix, uh, fixing a 777-300 for cargo exclusively. So they are getting ready for the vaccine when it comes out. They have three or four 747s in their cargo fleet. So they just leased one of the 747s to 21 Air. So they do have, uh, have the, the fours and threes, seven. Five. Mark, uh, yeah. Uh, how about the personnel right now? Uh, didn't you you sent me an email talking about seven five seven pilots? Uh, what's the need there? And do you have any information about how many pilots they have? How many flight attendants and so forth? What their staff is? I, no, I knew uh, about six months ago they were on on speed to hire a hundred pilots. So um, now they really get a good choice of pilots too. So um, if they're on that same track of hiring that many pilots, that's probably 27 aircraft. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I think so. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, doing the, the, the crews for those airplanes. So 27 airplanes in like say two to, I don't know, two to three years. That's, that's a pretty big fleet of wide bodies. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're flying from John F. Kennedy, Miami, and Texas, or oh, uh, the uh, 767-200 is now in Dallas or Worth. So oh. that could be their third hub. I mean, one of my uh, persons uh, that I know said that it's there for military, but why in Dallas? I mean, you know, I just don't buy that. Maybe being in Dallas to go to where the military are, yes. But I think they're probably going to use Dallas as they're willing to go where American is. 
and uh, well, so we have Mark, a lot of paint planes to paint. Keep yeah. in mind, Mark, that uh, Captain Neal's got a seven five seven six rating, so you might get an application. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, thought, I said yeah. to him, I said, yeah. I said, are you ready to go back to work? <laughs> yeah, we're about twenty. I'm about twenty four years uh, over over age limit. <laughs> so. <laughs> I thought you were going to say overweight. <laughs> yeah, that too, Dorothy. Uh, Mark, thanks so much. And uh-huh. I'll tell you what, it's so oh, interesting what you bring to us every week, and we appreciate so much what what you uh, what you do in, in bringing all this. Uh, the New Eastern, it's it's fun to listen to uh, to us again. Not really us again, but uh, uh, almost us version 3.0, and we wish them all the success in the world because we love they, the name yeah, East, Neil, Eastern. Have, I, have one, I have one thing, Neil. They've been trying to do a Miami to Libya route via Rome, and hmm. that's a rather dangerous route even though it's cargo, and uh, they've been turned down twice by the FAA. Okay. Um, wow. They're not, not coming up with enough evidence for safety between um, Rome and Libya. And I looked at Libya, and there's no one there. I mean, no one. Not even Air France is there. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, wow. Well, Um, So a safer safer route, I thought, would be going into Jordan and handing it over to the Libyan um, airline. Wow. Who would ever thought Eastern would be all over the world now? Well, a different version, but uh, at least the name of Eastern and um yeah. it's 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 great to to talk about eastern i mean we're still talking about uh, the new eastern and i want to know when we're going to get past privileges that's what i want to know <laughs> i'll have to i'll have to write him that well, yeah. forget we have china we have china eastern yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a very go. brilliant I, man though i will say we have that. kind of uh, coronavirus eastern yeah. Well, isn't the certificate that they bought though the actual Eastern certificate? No. It's not. No, it's actually on a dynamic certificate. The yeah. Eastern Airlines too, when it was bought by Swift Airlines, they turned it in and said they didn't need it. Now I think that was a mistake, uh, but anyway, that's in hindsight. But that's why like when Pan Am three started up, Pan Am three said we don't need it. And that offered them all the routes, all the aircraft, everything. But anyway, um, but it's, it's kind of like a yeah, it's kind of like a DBA doing business as right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but the, you know the call sign for all the aircraft coming in is Eastern. So that's what we um, want to hear. Eastern, yeah. On, yeah. There's Eastern on the airplane. It says you know the Eastern seven double O seven coming in to land at Miami International. So I don't think a lot of people realize. That, no, it's not on the same certificate. It's not the same Eastern. I think a lot of people looking, especially in South America, looking at Eastern, it's Eastern. That's yeah, it, period. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Thanks so much, Mark. And uh, well, we'll you bet. be listening to you again next week. And uh, Dorothy, we're about running out of time. What you got for us? Okay, I'll give you it quickly. Uh, we have a new member. Her name is Joan Dory. Uh, she is uh, from Lady Lake, Florida, and worked in Miami from 1948 to 1989. And she does mention the names of Jack and Ron Dory, so I wasn't sure if any of you folks might recognize that. Uh, but um, over the many years, you know, nearly 10 now going into next month, the EAL radio show has brought you 590 broadcasts of Monday and Thursday shows. Our purpose, of course, is to keep the memories alive for the many in the Eastern family and to remind those who were not employees of this great airline what a tremendous airline it was that dominated the airline industry from the 20s to the 80s. The legacy will continue with the great associations like the retired Eastern Pilots Association, the Eastern Airlines Civil Liners, the many Facebook pages committed to Eastern Airlines, and the Eastern Airlines radio show and website. There have been other associations that have since left the coverage for its members, Eastern's new in events, both through the media and the publications. 
We the Eastern family have been represented well and enjoy the news, stories, and camaraderie through the work, expense, and effort of these fine organizations. Just the fact that the radio show and its website have been around for 10 years is a tribute to those that put in the time and work each day and week, and it is the example of their love for our company. Even though gone, it will never be forgotten. So from the founder and producer, the webmaster, and all the hosts on the show, we kindly say thank you for your support. And to all of our listeners around the world, thank you for listening to what we bring you every week. We're glad you're here. And, of course, we're very happy that we have the the Reaper, the Retired Eastern Pilots Association, as one of our great sponsors, as well as some of you folks who have donated to the, to contribute to our program and keep us going. Um, you folks have any other announcements you may want to add? No. Okay, so we're approaching the airport, but let me give you one more thing. We have our Thursday show coming up of Repartee's memories and we also have our next show october 26th we're going to be doing the halloween and the bermuda triangle (laughs) show after that and we'll look into november we're going to have our tribute to the uh world war two one and two waves so now let's uh, see we're approaching the airport and at the end of our Eastern Flight 479 show. But we will be back next week sharing more great Eastern talk. It looks like we are entering the controlled airspace of Orlando International Airport tonight. So, Captain, would you please put us down gently, as do all Eastern pilots with their famous grease jobs. (laughs) Orlando Tower to Eastern 479er. You're cleared to land on runway 18 left. Roger, Roger Orlando Tower, Tower Eastern 479, cleared to land. 18 left. Gear down. I see three green lights, Captain. George went for a drink. <laughs> <laughs> George, the autopilot landing the airplane. (laughs) 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 Folks, you are invited to be with us next Monday, October 26th, when we bring you our annual Halloween show. And we intend to scare you, scare the wits out of you. I had to clean that up a little bit. Just wipe the seat off. Yeah. <laughs> the Reaper Radio Hour <clears throat> at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. These are stories by the pilots of Pitcairn Aviation, Eastern Air Transport, and Eastern Airlines. If you have not heard one of these broadcasts, you're really missing out on some great Eastern talk with more great stories by Eastern people. Our producer is telling me it's time to say goodbye. So this is Don Gagnon on behalf of tonight's host, Captain George Chen, Captain Mike Scott, Dorothy Gagnon, Harry Lindquist, Mark Porter, uh, and our producer, Captain Neil Holland, playing the sign-off music made popular by Merle Haggard. Silver Wings, let's listen. Shining in the sunlight, roaring engines headed somewhere in flight. They're taking you away, leaving me lonely. Silver wings slowly fading out of sight.
night, Eastern family and friends from around the world. And good night, Eastern Airlines, wherever you are. We love you, Eastern. We love you, Eastern. And now on the count love of three. Eastern. One. See you guys later. Two, nice talking three. to you. <laughs> good night. Good night, Eastern. Good night. Good night. Good night, good night host. Wonderful good job. Night. Thank Great. You. Don't miss Thank you. Halloween. I think I'll listen to the archive version of this show. It's so good. <laughs> no leaving me lonely. Silver wings, slowly fading out of sight. Slowly fading out of sight. Great job, guys. Good Thanks job, so much. Okay, how power again. Thanks, Neil. Great show. See you guys. All right, Harry. Take care, Mark. Goodbye, Harry. Good night, John Boy.